Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. And I'm super excited today to have Felix Bradbury on the show. Felix is with Accenture AI, and he's the principal director for data science. So we're going to geek out a little bit. We talk a lot about AI, data science. What does that all mean? Um, we've, we've heard a lot of bit different dimensions on it. You know, it's, it's really exciting and refreshing to have Felix on the show that can elaborate a little bit. But more, more importantly, Felix, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit on how you got started. Tell us your origin story. Hey, Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so by way of background, I, I started my professional career as, a, as an oncology nurse. Uh, I did that, you know, as a floor nurse to start with and then uh, did a bunch of volunteer work as well. So long story short, the, uh, the organization I worked for, which was a regional, uh, regional medical center in southern Georgia at the time, um, they paid their nurses $20 for, you know, if the patient or their families remembered the name of the nurse. And, you know, I, I, thinking back to how I got started and the things that made a difference, you know, when you're, when you're doing oncology nursing, probably one of the biggest things you have to do right is manage pain. And I was good at being Johnny on the spot and uh, managing pain effectively, you know, the Demerol and Fenergan stuff and um, making sure making sure my patients were well taken care of. And I, I made, you know, made quite a bit of money doing that because people remembered my name because I was very responsive. And so mm -hmm. away from that was I really appreciated being able to make an impact on people that were really suffering and to be able to help their families. And so as, as I spent more time in healthcare, I, I realized that I wanted to be able to have that same feeling of, making a difference in the lives of you know, the, the patients and their families uh, at a larger scale. And so as my career evolved, you know, and, and frankly, I liked Spock better than I liked Kirk, you know, <laughs> when I was younger and I thought, well, you know, I, the analytics make sense to me. And I did a, spent many years in, in um, population health and public health settings. And so understood that a lot of the work that commercial payers and Medicare Medicaid payers were trying to do was really met, use uh, some basic principles and analytics to help manage the costs of their population and, and get to better outcomes. And um, How do you effectively understand risk and how do you manage against that risk? And the only way to really do that is you have to have insights and those insights come from, of course, data and analytics. So mm -hmm. that you know, when I was younger, the, the notion of data scientist didn't exist. So um, my career has been based on seeing opportunities in healthcare and making, drawing connections between you know, public health and epidemic, um, advanced analytics, and, and seeing that, you know, all of that stuff makes sense. So that's how I got started. Nice, nice. No, you know, very, um, very exciting and fascinating. Your your blend and your history um, on the on the medical side. You know, uh, from the provider and payer standpoint, having that analytical mindset, and then it driving you to where you're at today. Um, for our audience out there, tell us a little bit more about. The basics, like, uh, you know, say you're about to walk into a auditorium and it's full of 
elementary school students and the topic is、uh -huh. about you know what is ai you know and what is ai in healthcare and why it matters you know how would talk to us a little bit about that yeah so so you know the, the way i'm seeing ai play out in healthcare is an ability to to take data and and typically i'm i deal with the world of big data so that's data that's defined as high velocity high variety high volume and Being able to take actionable pieces of information and wherever possible automate that information and put it in the hands of、uh, a provider at the point of care. So that could, provider could be a case manager, or it could be a physician,、uh, or the patient themselves. You know, in terms of you know the information they need to make better healthcare decisions. So、mm -hmm. that's where I see AI playing out for for many of our clients and their, their you know.、Mm -hmm. Either their members or their patients. And what are some what are some use cases? So you know whether it's in the oncology space. You know, obviously, you know, I hear a lot about like radiology and how AI can you know have a lot of、uh, you know accuracy there, and then put all the radiologists in the world out of business.、Uh, all kidding aside, but maybe you can speak to a little bit a few more use cases of. Of AI predictions, and there's so many different dimensions of da data science, right? There's so many different flavors. There's deep learning, there's,、uh, right, machine right. learning, predictions, natural language processing, true AI. You know, there's also you know a big debate whether whether you know true AI even exists, and you know have we reached the singularity yet? And you know, not to spock out too much here, but、mm -hmm. um, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, probably the single biggest area that I've been directly involved in is is predictive analytics,、uh, and those have been around for a while now. And the, the notion of AI on top of it is, you know, again, the ability to to get an insight and to put it in the in an actionable pathway for a clinician. So.、Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's you know a readmission risk model where there's intelligence that's that's constant、uh, you know continuously learning model has been developed that will、uh, give the clinician some insights、uh, you know they've got 20 people they've got to discharge that day and who's at greatest risk of、uh, of a readmission and what's actionable what it, what are the actionable pieces of information that they need to know about that patient、mm -hmm. that can be fed back to them. Uh, that they can act upon to to reduce that risk of readmission. You know, those、mm -hmm. are things that、uh, get me going every morning. Nice, nice, Felix. You know, it's super exciting. And on the readmission side, obviously, you know, most hospitals out there, you know, have a twenty percent or, or worse, you know, readmission rate. And you know, trying to dive right. into right the the different reasons, the differences that make the difference in a readmit, and how do you prevent or put processes, technology, or communication. Or even leaders or leadership in place in different dimensions should all be data driven, and it still seems like there's so many great hospital systems out there that are anecdotally acting off of you know what to improve, but you know using that predictive analytics and that that scenario seems pretty pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, one of the biggest you know one of the biggest challenges is I mean the the modeling itself isn't particularly difficult. One、mm -hmm. challenge is to make sure that the, the, the whatever. Information you get fits into the workflow of the end user,、um, mm -hmm. because if if I, I've seen it more than a few times, you know, if it's not in their workflow in a convenient, easy to consume manner, then it doesn't get used, and it it just becomes right an academic exercise. So, in terms of AI, it's really you know the, the AI is 
wonderful, but you have to have a real understanding of the business and the process right. that the end users use in order to make it valuable to them. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty powerful. You know, what's interesting about technology, and I'm sure you see this as well. And, you know, I, I joke around a little bit, but in our office here, I was getting coffee the other day and there was someone behind me, um, you know, using Siri. And I know mm-hmm. Siri's more on the voice side and, and uh person was using Siri to call their own personal doctor. And it sounded pretty obvious that they were saying, you know, call, call my Dr. Smith or something along those lines. And I'm like, right. in my mind, I'm like, am I missing out? Am I, should I, should I be on this? Like telling Siri to call someone on the wide open, <laughs> you know, or should I just hit the button on my phone? My instincts tell me I'm cool hitting the button on my phone to, to dial the phone still and not speak it out loud yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that leads me to like, okay, there's like common sense and there's like super sense in this space. Right. And, um, so two things on like activity and let's just say like nutrition, if I'm maybe like my nephew's age, right? Like, like, you know, he plays basketball. Right. And so he's, he's about to be a teenager here, but let's just say like myself, I, I, I play basketball. Um, you know, if I wanted to calculate, if I'm really like logging, like the best times, per day the times per day that i'm working out the number of shots i'm i'm shooting and the number of shots i'm making mm-hmm. and i wanted to put and i had a spreadsheet of all that mm-hmm. what's a simple tool common sense wise it can probably be like oh wow you know i'm gonna shoot better you know in the morning you know probably before 10 o'clock as opposed to like in the afternoon or something like mm-hmm. that that's what my mm-hmm. common sense tells me and then yeah. there's a super sense element if i had a spreadsheet of that data is there a tool like you can download from the internet or from the app store that I can put that data in so it can give me really good predictions um, on like truly like when is the best statistical time for me to get my shots in, you know? Yeah, I haven't seen anything that, that is quite that automated. It wouldn't act, frankly, it would not be that hard to, to do. Uh, mm-hmm. the, one of the things I would want to add to that is not... It is also looking at something like blood sugar or when you ate last or right. hours of sleep, you know, to, to right. facilitate the prediction. Um, right. And so, yeah, it, I don't think that would be a, you know, with a, with a uh, Fitbit and some, you know, some biometric tools, I don't think that would be mm-hmm. very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds, it's interesting. We're in this interesting blend of like common sense, but super sense and capabilities, but yet, um, the tools are, are getting to the point that you can add in all these extra factors, right? So obviously there's the common sense element that, you know, if I went to bed super late, woke up and ate the bag of Kit Kats along and then followed that up with a bag of Oreos. Right, um, right. You know, and I have that data in and then I shoot my, my shots. I'm going to I'm gonna probably not be as optimal as if I got the good night's sleep and everything. But, right. but now I mean, you can add those column and variables to factor in and, and that could decipher out the, the probability, right? Right, I mean, I, 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 right, exactly. And I'd want to know, you know, not just that you got eight hours of sleep, but, you know, what percentage of it was good REM sleep and, you know, mm-hmm. adequately hydrated and, you know, uh, did what, what did you eat? Not only that your blood sugar is within normal limits, but, you know, actually what you what you ate. So it's not likely to spike, you know, there's a whole host mm-hmm. of things to consider. Are you seeing, we've had a lot of people on this show in hospital. So the irony, and maybe it's not ironic at all, but like cardiologists from like Cleveland Clinic, we've had, you know, uh, oncologists on the show, CEOs that have been MDs, you know, you think you're, they're going to go deeper on more of the admin and kind of scientific elements, but mind, body, spirit, 
you know, great nutrition, low carbs, low sugar, meditation, great night's sleep. These factors are coming in more and more when it comes to predictions for acute and chronic conditions and the outcomes and the readmits there. Are you seeing any innovative models that, that are factoring all the mind, body, spirit habits and rituals here in, in the modeling side? Yeah, I think where I see that going, Tony, is um, actually the, the leveraging of the, the um, you know, sociodemographic and anonymized consumer transactional data into mm-hmm. these predictions. Um, certainly, uh, uh, you know, clearer understanding of the social determinants of health play in. Uh, mm-hmm. The peer-reviewed literature that I've seen indicates a very high propensity of health outcomes are are linked to social determinants of health and not just, frankly, access to care and quality of care. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain adverse utilization and adverse costs that, you know, the, the doctor can do everything right and the patient can mm-hmm. do everything right and you're, you're still not where the, the industry wants to be in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, better outcomes at a lower price point, um, simply mm-hmm. because whole host of socio sociodemographic uh, factors. Uh, certainly one of the areas that I, I, I really like to see in the healthcare industry spend more energy mm-hmm. on is, is the mental and behavioral component. Interesting. And how those, and how those link into outcomes because right. I mean, I, I can take a, the, the average cost of a stable diabetic on a per month per, you know, per member per month basis and, and look at that. And the right of that, you know, the same diabetic, if they have major depression is, is roughly four to five times, you know, the cost without them. Right. So, right. Those are things that we've got to get into our thinking and not just, you know, being reactive and, and treating just the disease because there's a bigger picture. There's this behavioral health and there's this social, you know, uh, social determinants to be considered as well. And, and so, Felix, yeah, so SDOH, the social economic factors, these social determinants of health, super fascinating, super, super intriguing to me. And um, you've been on the payer side, you've been on the provider side. How do, what are some of those specific, you know, variables in these social economic factors or social determinants of health? Um, what are some of those extra variables that should be considered? Um, and then not to add a... a, a a, a uh, you know three questions in one here, but you know how does how does what's the mindset difference of looking at those factors from a provider standpoint versus a payer standpoint? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, um, from the provider standpoint, it helps to understand you know what are the the, the barriers to the person being compliant with their care, um, and and really knowing. You know, more about the patient and how to overcome those barriers. So, um, if, if the person is just newly divorced, if they're, you know, uh, they've just lost their job, all of those things certainly would, would come into play in terms of helping them, you know, make a decision in terms of what's likely to be impacting this person. Are they, it sounds like they're under a lot more stress than they normally would have been. And, you know, so then mm-hmm. they're at risk of depression. And so then they may not be with their medications because they can't afford them. You know, if I'm the provider, I'd, you know, I'd like to know that and help steer the person towards the, you know, the cheapest path. Um, mm-hmm. and, and frankly, a lot of that would apply on the payer side as well, in, in my mind. You know, they're going to be looking for mm-hmm. ways to make sure that the patient 
or the member has access to care um, and is getting the, the, the care at the right time in the right setting and at the lowest possible cost. Thank you so much. Now, I appreciate you explaining the difference. We get those questions a lot. Um, it, you know, it's super fascinating because, you know, there's the social factors to the patient, to the person, the caregiver, the family and friends in the circle around the person. And then there's the pay, the payment side and then the service side. And so, you know, it's interesting to explore things from these different angles to see the differences that make the difference uh, Felix. And so Felix, tell us a little bit more about what has you passionate in health today and, and how some of these things are paving the way for further excitements and new possibilities for the future of health. Yeah. So that there's several things that, you know, are really exciting to me. I, you know, I have sort of a macro level, um, this whole mo- movement from, and it's been going on for a while now, but it's, it's, it's certainly gaining momentum year over year as we, as, as the nation struggles with you know healthcare costs, but this, that's this notion of moving from fee for service to to pay for value. Um, mm-hmm. Historically, you know we've seen that you know fee for service doesn't work, and we've also mm-hmm. you know that capitation doesn't work. So uh, it's it's good to see that you know the industry is making that shift to, to value based care, and is and organizations are looking to link outcomes and financial uh, remunerations. And, to create a, a culture that's, you know, aimed at cost-effective, high-quality healthcare, I think that's really where we need to be. And so we're not, mm-hmm. so we're not reactive, um, because you know, typically you go to a doctor with a chief complaint, and it's, you know, you're there for a specific problem, and um, that's not keeping ahead of cost. That's treating things after the fact. So if we can understand what are those determinants, whether they're behavioral or socioeconomic or social determinants or cultural or logistical, whatever those are, then we can be much more proactive um, uh, at, at, at managing healthcare uh, and mm-hmm. do outcomes at a, at a you know, faster, at a lower price point. So that's mm-hmm. it's very exciting to me. Um, the other is um, leveraging of big data. So that's data that are high velocity, high volume, and high variety, um, and being able to create the analytics using that data um, to have deeper insights. And again, you know, at the end of the day, all of this stuff really translates to some actions that can be done for a. Uh, you know, it's it's at all that all of the actions translate into some activity between a, a, a patient and a provider at, at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the rubber really meets the road. And it's really good when you can develop solutions that, that in, impact positively that interaction. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you, Felix. And, you know, getting access to this data, though, also seems uh, like an opportunity, but also a, a black box or a bottleneck, right? And, and so... Um, the models and the data science is only as good as the data that could be coming in across these different like um, cylinders of data on social determinants of health that you can get on a person. So very consumerized data. What what are some bottlenecks in this space of getting the data, or what are some potential solutions on how we can get better data on social factors faster, mm, better? That's good. 
That's any a good, thoughts in, on that space? N- not really. I, I think you know we the, the the challenges I see are typically around data quality. Um, uh, no, I really don't have any specific uh, insights on on getting that faster. I think I think that there's a lot of data out there. I think a lot of it has to do with how can we um, combine these data sets in some sort of meaningful way to get the insights that we need. Um, and is it what? And is it telling us, uh, giving us something that's actionable rather than just you know interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, we see a lot of correlations that um, you know, are, are, are interesting, but not necessarily actionable. And so that's uh, mm-hmm. that's always the challenge. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate your elaboration there, and I'm right there, right there with you, Felix. Um, question on things on a personal basis for you that have really worked out for you from a health perspective. Some people on the show have talked about their recent jujitsu class that they've really got into and now their fitness has taken a whole other level. Or some people talk about intermittent intermittent fasting or mm-hmm. how they, they're, they're drinking bone broth now and that's that's doing wonders for their skin or whatever. What's one or two things on a on a personal basis that you've seen really um, that you believe in for your own personal health that, that make a difference in your, your daily or weekly life? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, um, you know, I found that reducing, you know, I, I didn't realize I had a in, intolerance to gluten. So taking that mm-hmm. out of my diet is, has been very helpful. Um, and then frankly, I like to swim. I love to swim. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing that since my college days. And so, uh, getting in the pool, couple times a week when I can, especially at least on weekends is, is very, you know, so in terms of health related behaviors, those are, those are things that I like to do. And, um, that nice. It's not very easy with uh, the travel, but, um, you know, I certainly feel healthier when I, when I take care of myself those ways. Nice. Nice. Now that's exciting to hear Felix. And yeah, swimming's really great. I, uh, not as naturally inclined. I was born in Brooklyn. And so yeah. I was, uh, you know, but when I do see water, it's like every single time we would travel to Florida and vacation uh, or go somewhere, you know, tropical, you know, I'd, I'd wind up getting like a sunburn because I would want to be in there all the time. But it's, it's still not my natural state to always like, you know, go swimming like once a week and get the cap out and, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. do strokes. But yeah, um, but yeah I, I amen on the gluten for sure. I mean, it's 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 interesting as I get older now, how, how sensitive I am to it, even though I'm not, you know, allergic to it or anything like that. But you know, if you could avoid it, there's there's probably more reasons not to eat gluten than there are to eat gluten, um, yes. just for anyone, right? And yes. uh, so that's that science is coming out now. It's almost like it's common sense, but the super sense, the super science is coming on out about it right now. So, um, you know, super interesting, Felix. I I want to be sensitive to time. It's really refreshing to have you on the show to elaborate on kind of the data elements and streams that make a difference in uh, care from a provider and payer standpoint, Felix. Um, but before, um, you know, we, we, uh, end this episode, I'm curious if there's any other visions of the future or any other topics in health, like whether your vision of the future is five years from now, 10 years or a hundred years from now, anything else on, on the future of healthcare that you would like to provide insight on, or maybe some things that you believe in healthcare that haven't been proven yet. Yeah, that's a, that's a, question too um you know there's i don't have any one thing that hasn't been proven yet i can you know where, where i 
see the excitement and the energy is, is again, around, you know, massive amounts of data that we can now combine and, and mm-hmm. leverage of your claims, your EMR, the sociodemographic, the anonymized consumer and transactional data, genomic data, you know, we'll be able to get insights that we've never had before. And I think that um, with the use of analytics, applied analytics, that we'll be able to create an industry that doesn't just treat disease, which is, as I said earlier, very reactionary, but actually drive to a proactive, holistic approach um, and, you know, get to some of those social social determinants of health factors and uh, help reduce the costs of care and have a, a profound impact on healthcare utilization and costs across the country. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm right I'm right there with you and I think, you know, getting all access to you know, all of this different types of data and it being um you know, starting to be compiled in different, you know, obviously there's still some data silos right out, out there. Oh, absolutely. But um no, it's super, super powerful. Felix, as you go throughout the year, obviously love to have you back as you work with different projects, evolve different models. Um, more so, obviously, just share updated philosophies you have on these different data sets. Mm-hmm. Super exciting to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making time. I've been you know, um, very passionate to, to get you on the show and to speak about some of these elements. So thank you for sharing with our audience. If Along those lines, if our audience would like to engage with you, Felix, what would be a good way to do so if they'd like to reach out to you or engage with you online? Yeah, sure. They can um, reach, re- connect with me through LinkedIn. That's probably the, the easiest approach, and I'll be happy to get back to them. Super. Super. Well, we'll do that, and definitely we'll, we'll put a link to your, uh, your LinkedIn in the show notes. And uh, F- Felix, thanks for being on the show. This was great. Thank you, Tony. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. You too, Felix. And to our listeners out there, again, Pop Health Show. This is for people that are passionate about health. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye.